0: you guys would pray for me, that our time in his word would bring forth fruit, that hearts would be changed. Do you guys believe that his word is living? Yes. Do you believe that it's powerful? Yes. Do you believe that his word can sanctify us? Yes. That's what Jesus told us, John 17, 17, right? And I'm believing that this morning, that hearts will be changed in this time. So, Father, it is our desire to come to you humbly and broken Knowing that you are absolutely right, and that your word is good, and that it effectively works in those who believe. If there be unbelief, if there be struggles, depression, other hardships, you see it all, you know it all, we're inviting you to come and to speak life, truth, hope. Stir us up good. Keep us in your love. Keep us anchored in you, Jesus. And it's in that awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I vividly remember as a kid those old cap guns. How many of you guys grew up in the greatest generation of all time and had one of these bad boys? The smell. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't remember much of my childhood, but I remember the Cap Gun smells, right? So cool. How many of you guys don't know what this is? I'm sorry. So, <laughs> I've always loved weapons, okay? I remember getting the Rambo knife. You guys ever have one of those? The big old compass on the handle so you knew where you are going in the woods? And on the inside, they'd have matches in case you got lost and needed to start a fire. It had a little saw, bandage, you put everything... So cool, right? I remember getting my first BB gun at Christmas. I remember shooting my first rifle, a .22 with my dad. And then I got to try the shotgun. What power! Guys, I never went back to the cap gun after that. It's interesting as Christians, though. We taste heavenly, mighty weapons but then we revert back to our human cap guns pea shooters don't we well we're going to read here this morning in second corinthians 10 god has given us an arsenal a heavenly collection of weapons so to revert or to revert back is as foolish as grabbing our you know earthly you know Cap guns in a real war. So let's take a look this morning. Verse 1. It says here, Now I, Paul, myself, I am pleading with you by meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshy, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing everything or every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." So, Paul, you're too harsh. No, Paul, you're too soft. Paul can't win, right? <laughs> That's what's going on with these Corinthian believers, okay? You're a softy in person, but your letters, you're a big old bully, Apostle Paul. Look back to the last verse of chapter 9. Where did we leave off last week? It said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, right? Let's look to Jesus. This great gift that the gospel speaks to. What a way to end that chapter. It kind of sounds like he was ending his letter on that note, in that thought. Now, there's a lot of scholars that believe there were three... Letters written to the Corinthians. Okay, Because as we get into chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13, you're going to get a whole different feel, vibe, from what Paul is saying. He's changing gears quite quickly, and his tone is much harsher, a lot more bold in what he says. And many scholars believe that might have been that third letter, that they just combined Second Corinthians, the first nine chapters, and then 10 through 13 being another letter, which is referred to back in chapter 2 of Second Corinthians, because we're told there was another letter. And where is it? We don't have it in the Bible. Well, a lot of people believe that this may be it. And I kind of agree. I don't know for sure. Definitely could be. But regardless, it is here in God's word. And we're going to take a look into what Paul has to say. So he starts with this combo in Christ this meekness and gentleness. Do you guys know that meekness is power under control? Power under control. I think of Jesus. You guys remember when he went into the temple and he started flipping tables? He was a little angry. And we know Jesus doesn't get angry like you and I. It was a righteous anger. My house should be a house of prayer, but you guys have made it a den of thieves. You're ripping off God's people. Knock it off. He's flipping tables with righteous anger that day. Flipping this one, flipping that one. Comes to this one and just stops and says, Hey guys, move your doves. Harmless little birds there. You need to move them away. And then flips that table, right? He had meekness. He was under control, right? And it also talks about the gentleness. And that would speak of a thoughtfulness or being considerate. So it's used of a person who looks for a way to make peace in a calm, in a decent way. So if you see weakness in me, Paul is saying, it's really meekness, okay, It's what Christ has taught us to do. And just because we didn't use some carnal method to get through to you guys, okay, but we chose spiritual ones, what Christ has taught us, it doesn't mean that we're weak or to be seen as weak. But aren't we prone to do the same thing? Man, we want leaders like this going to lay down the law and make that happen. Well, what is the way of Christ? Well, he came to seek and save the lost. Not to be served, but to be a servant, a servant leader who is willing in meekness to speak hard truths. Okay, But he does it, what? In love. In righteousness. This is what is right. And there are times, guys, where we have to turn some tables. But we follow the example of Christ. When does that happen? Well, we got to be really careful and in tune with the Spirit. Because there are times to turn tables, and there's other times where we just love, and we speak a whole lot of truth through love. So here, this is what Paul's having to deal with. And if you look at verse 2, You know, Paul must again defend and vindicate his apostleship, that office that had been given to him by Jesus in these last four chapters. So the attacks are coming from this, you know, these self acclaimed super apostles. Jump ahead to chapter 11. Look at verse 5. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to most of the eminent apostles, in which he later describes as these false prophets. Jump down to verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So this is what Paul is up against. A bunch of false yahoos leading others astray, and they're all getting undone, and they're not willing to receive the truth of what Paul is proclaiming to them. Now, if we look at verses 3 through 6 here, We, like Paul, all walk in the flesh. Just because Paul was an apostle, or because I'm a pastor, or because you've been in Jesus for decades, doesn't mean you don't struggle with the flesh any longer. Any of you guys sinned this last week? Okay, I gotta put up two hands. Okay, (laughs) we're gonna sin this side of heaven until the day we die. Okay, hopefully, we're growing and being sanctified and becoming more like Jesus along the way. That's what he's promised to do, and as we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming us, renewing our minds, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. So we should be growing, but we're always going to struggle in the flesh. Now, we have the weakness of the flesh, but he did not war after the flesh by depending upon fleshly wisdom or human abilities nor physical prowess we jump back to Moses, you guys know that he warred after the flesh. He killed with his own hands an Egyptian man. There's a wrong happening. It needs to stop. And in his flesh, he went and did something about it. He went to a war to make it stop. Okay? But you remember, Moses warred after the flesh. And he struck down that Egyptian, but later, God showed him how to war after the Spirit. And he watched God move in miraculous ways, changing the heart of Pharaoh, the nation of Egypt, with God's signs, his wonders, not Moses'. So there is no truth, guys, when it comes to this war with Satan. Okay? It's an invisible war, but it's very real. There are daily clashes with him and his cohorts, especially with the battle of the mind. Do you guys know that most of the battles taking place up here? Even this morning as we're looking to what God has declared, which is truth, which is truth that can set us free, many of us are in a place, am I going to receive this truth? Am I going to believe this? this truth? Will I obey it? Will I walk it out in my life? And many of us have different things going on in our lives and we're worrying right now, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to receive this truth? Am I going to believe this truth? Will I continue to try to do this myself in my own flesh? My 12-step program? The wisdom? Positive thinking? Or am I going to humble myself and say, you know what? This is what God says. This is how I need to roll. So the bloodless battle that is fought where no one can see, guys, really is the battlefield of the mind. How many of you guys have read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Love it. Okay, It's an imaginary correspondence between an older devil, Screwtape, and his ambitious young nephew, Wormwood. In Lewis, he lifts the veil to the inner workings of Satan's dark hierarchy. I'm going to share just a portion. My dear Wormwood, you will say that these are small sins and doubtless like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is to the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that they their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope soft. Underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Satan blinds people to God's light. That's what we saw back in chapter 4, verse 4, right? That the minds of those whose minds the God of this age have blinded, they can't see, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Do you guys understand? If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not received the truth of the gospel, it is because not you, but Satan has literally blinded you. We are in a war, guys. There's a war waging right now over the souls of every man, woman, and child upon this planet. That's the truth of what's going on. It's a truth we often ignore, don't want to think about, but that is what is going on today. And Satan has blinded people. Well, why would God, or why would Satan do that? Why would God allow that to happen to all of his children we're not all of his children. The Bible says we are sons of disobedience until you repent and believe the gospel. Then you become a child of light, a child of God's. And there are many who are children of disobedience, children of Satan today. And they're walking around in blindness and they don't even have a clue that they are. They're doing everything he wants them to do. You see, if we consider these first six verses together... In 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, it really shows us that Satan loves to fortify minds against God's truth. That's what he wants to do. We don't even know what truth is today. We talk to anybody. Just talk to your neighbor. Walk around your block. Knock on their door this week and ask them what truths they believe. How many truths do you think you'll get? Will they all be the same? Absolutely not. Two, three different thoughts? No, I bet you, you get probably a dozen different. I got about a dozen houses on my block. I think everybody else would have a different truth. Everybody has these truths. And as long as you're sincere in your truth, that's okay because that's all that matters. As long as it makes you happy, you're good. You guys know that we can be sincerely wrong? A lot of people are sincerely wrong. And why? Because Satan has blinded them. You can believe whatever you want. Just as long as you are blind and you don't see the truth of what is really true. So, Satan also loves to corrupt minds against God's Son. Next week, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 says, The serpent, who's the serpent? Satan, right? He deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity or the purity that is in Christ. Okay, Satan is the one who corrupts. He's the father of lies. I don't really need Jesus. I don't really need to believe that. That's just one of the many ways to get to heaven. Isn't that one of the lies that's being believed as a truth today? Absolutely. Another truth that's being taught today is it doesn't even really matter, does it? Because there is no God. That's what we teach our kids in public school. We do not teach our children the truth that there is a Creator and you've been created in His likeness. And though you are a sinner, He loved you so much that He actually became a human being 2,000 years ago and died on a cross in your place was buried and rose again from the dead. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. We don't tell kids the truth. We tell kids that nothing blew up. That is radically stupid. I mean, you have to go to great lengths of ignorance to believe something like nothing blew up. Just think about that for two seconds. But we've gone to great lengths To speak that lie. And those who are teaching these lies, many of them academically, you know, accomplished. How can be they (laughs) the only way I can explain the stupidity is Satan has literally blinded them. That's the only it's so ridiculous. You're supposed to be smart. I mean, I can take a five-year-old who can figure out that nothing does nothing. Nothing can't make all of this. Sorry. It's a frustration. We should know better. Satan should not be able to toss people to and fro so easily. People would just pause for two seconds and just think there would be a revival. But Satan has us so busy so deceived, and so blind, we just continue to run the rat race until we die. There's good people. There's people who believe in God. You know how many good people are going to be in heaven? Not a whole lot. Because there are none that are good. Do you understand that? None are good. We all need a Savior. That's why Jesus had to do what he did. And yet, we have a lot of Good people, so they think, because they've been blinded, think they get to go to heaven someday. I love sharing the gospel, and I ask people all the time, do you know if you're going to heaven or not? Got to talk to a 92-year-old woman this week, Lois. She believes in God, and she doesn't know if she's going to heaven or not because she doesn't know if she's been good enough. 92, that's a lot of life, guys. And she doesn't know if she gets to go to heaven or not because she doesn't know if she was good enough. She's really tried. And she's a sweet old lady. She's probably lived a really good life. But she just doesn't know. She can't make sense of this life. And you know what was weighing heavy on her heart as I talked to her? Were these kids shooting each other in schools. She's like, Landon, why is there so much evil Why will God allow these things to happen? Well, the truth is, He's blinded us. And if we really believe this stupid theory of evolution that there is no God, of course, it's survival of the fittest. Why not? If you're more powerful, why not? There's no moral truth then. Where does that come from? There's no God. You see, when we teach these type of things, Satan is able to have his way. And Satan loves to corrupt the truth of who God is, lest his light shine, right guys? And he is corrupting, he's deceiving, he is crafty. So this is what I love about this chapter, because Paul here, he gives great advice to ensure a victory in spiritual warfare. The only way to wage on. Un- unsuccessful spiritual warfare is by abandoning all these worldly ways and worldly attitudes. So how do we war? How do we war against the flesh? Do you take the buckle on the belt of verbal abuse? Do you strap on your breastplate of self-righteousness? Do you put on your shoes of fake, quick peace? Do you put on the helmet of heartache? Do you slay with the sword of your tongue? Praying always, Lord, fix them, is watchful of all their mistakes, and persevere till you win an argument or till the other party is so exhausted that they just forfeit to you. So why don't we fight fair with the weapons that God has given us in this war, which would be things like truthfulness, righteousness, faith, peace, salvation, his word through prayer, being watchful and persevering, how will that type of fighting help you? How will that help your marriage? How will that help you with the employee you've been having a problem with or maybe a coworker you have? Speaking truth, guys. In love. So going back to Chapter 10. If you guys look at verse four, it talks about the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, maybe Paul was thinking of Joshua and the victory of Jericho's Jericho's walls, right? Or maybe victory comes when we count on God. Did you guys catch that? It's in God. I hope so. Because this is key to this passage. Maybe Paul was thinking of Proverbs 21, 22. You can jot that down. Proverbs 21, 22. It says, a wise man skills the city of the mighty and he brings down the trusted strongholds. And that's what needs to happen, guys. Because Satan wants to get his grip on you. Okay, He wants to have a stronghold upon you. But God is able to tear those things down. And that's why it's important. I think of Nehemiah, and many of you guys have read the book of Nehemiah. Okay? He went back to Israel to do what? Hey, we got to rebuild some walls here. We need to protect ourselves from the evil. Okay? And that's why the strategy of Joshua against Jericho was to get it down. The walls needed to fall. And that's what we see today. The world has put up these walls to protect themselves, that they can't even see the truth of who God is. Well, we as Christians, many of us, we don't even have walls to protect us. Man, the world's just coming in and out as they wish. Verse 5, it talks about captivity here. Literally, this means to take one captive with a spear, okay? Or to bring into captivity, to bring into subjection. But the thing I want you and I to catch as we study through this passage, this word is in present tense, okay? It points to a continual struggle in warfare. I can honestly tell you guys, it might be going on decades now, where I've asked the Lord almost daily, when does the struggle stop? When will this war end? When will I ever get a break? I finally get a vacation. Well, a vacation's not a break. When we are in Christ, guys, and especially if we're walking with Him, do you guys know that we have a big old target on ourselves? Hey, Satan's selling all his cohorts. Hey, (laughs) go get that one. Go get that one. They're born again. They put their faith in Jesus. Stop them from growing. Make them revert back to their old junk. Keep them from doing anything. Just keep them asleep. Don't let them wake up to what's really going on. Because isn't that what's happening this morning as we read chapter 10 here? Aren't our eyes being enlightened? Don't we see that there's more things going on than what we actually see? There is a spiritual realm and there's a very real battle going on right now. And Satan doesn't want God's army rising up and doing anything. You just stay asleep. You stay quiet. Don't shine. Why don't you put a basket over yourself. Don't let that light shine. Don't talk about Jesus. Jesus. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus. Talk about anything else, but not Jesus. Aren't you guys that glad that doesn't happen here in America? I'm going to talk football for a second. C.J. Stroud, I really like him. Rookie, phenomenal. Rookie season, right? What I love about this kid, every single time I've seen him interviewed, the first thing out of his mouth is what? And I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gives glory to him. NBC last week, cut that off. We won't even share that. Okay, He's being interviewed. The first thing on his heart, the first thing he wants to say after a win, we're not going to let you talk about Jesus. That's the day and age that we're, it's nothing new. This has been going on for a long time, guys. We took the Bibles out of the schools in 1957. When did our nation go to heck? 1957. Go check it out for yourself. Go look at the divorce rate, crime rate, everything shot up in 1957. What happened in 1957? Sorry, kids. Can't learn about God any longer. Sorry, I'm getting so sidetracked this morning. It's just so hard. These are the fleshly things that are playing out in our lives. What we can see. But there's so much more going on in the unseen But as we engage in the war, and we're stepping out to do battle, we'll get glimpses of what's really going on and what really matters. Because Satan's really good at getting us as believers, even though we know the truth, so tripped up on the temporal things. Don't you know, Pastor, you need to be about this? You have to vote for him. We got to care about this if we don't speak up about this. Great! We gain the whole world and people go to hell. That's big picture. That's truth. People need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. Great! We fix everything. What is that going to do? People are still going to go to hell because we missed the mark. We missed the one thing God's asked us to do. What has he told us to do? Go make disciples. That's the Great Commission. And what does the going mean? It means as you're going along your way, wherever you are, you're sharing the gospel. And there may be things that God puts on our heart that we do need to step into. And I'm not saying it's wrong to speak up. Maybe God's giving you a burden and you need to shed light in an area. But if you're not making disciples along the way in that stuff, We're missing the mark. And that's what I see the church doing a lot of. They're saying a whole lot, being really loud, making their voice be heard about what's wrong instead of what is right. And Jesus Christ is what is right. Jesus Christ is what is right for our nation, for all people. And how will, how will they hear unless there's a preacher, unless we're actually making disciples and teaching people? Not teaching them about what's right and wrong. Man, that's what Satan wants us to do. Right? Isn't that religion? That's every religion upon the planet, guys. It's all the same. Satan's not that crafty. He's been doing the same thing for thousands of years. Hey, you can be okay if you just do good enough and you sacrifice enough to your false gods. Then you'll be okay. That's not how it works, guys. That's why the gospel sets people free. So let's get a picture real quick. <clears throat> to protect against attacks, there were high towers that had to be constructed within the walls of a city. During a siege, military intelligence, they would give commands to these ob- observation towers to those who were on the wall themselves. So when God tells us here to take every thought captive, think about this, guys. He wants us to scale those lofty observation towers, okay, and overcome the military strategists that occupy them. So this actually sounds like, (laughs) with his help, we can do this. Bring every thought into captivity. Every thought. And it has to come before the Lord, Oh, we lost our feed. Is that on my end? All right. I had a cool tower to show you guys. Let me see if I can find it. So I want to share with you briefly. Is it up now? There we go. F.B. Meyer, he's a commentator. I just want to share a few of his thoughts around this idea. He says Christ counts evil thoughts as traitors, not only to us but also to him. Like the psalmist you may say, I hate vain thoughts, not only because the curse of the curse they bring to my heart, but for the grief they give to my king. Their intrusion is forbidden by the double barrier of our own choice. In the keeping power of Jesus. Let the peace of God keep the door of your heart and mind, scrutinizing each intruder and turning back the unfit. Let the Holy Spirit bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let the faithful Savior have the keeping of the soul entrusted to him that he may watch every menacing thought which lurks in the shadow and steals us up the glen. He is well able to keep what is committed to him. He will not fail to supplicant whose lips are familiar with the prayer. Cleanse the thoughts of my heart by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name. I like that, guys. That's the point of bringing every thought captive. So the weapons of the world, they can be intellectualism, but that's not actually intelligence. Personal influence, impersonal credentials, you know, whatever rhetorical polish you want to put on it, guys, and the like. So the things Paul has discounted and he's discarded... Okay, he did not wage war as the world does or use their weapons. You see, the weapons Paul used, they were, proclaim- they were proclaiming what God has declared his word and prayer, weapons that are divine, have divine power. So, independence on God, okay, these weapons, frail by worldly standards, are to demolish or. Pull down, pulling down the arguments and every claim of the gospel's foes. That's what we get to do, guys. We get to share the truth of the gospel with the world. And unless we're sharing the word of God, what are we sharing then? I want you guys to remember on uh, the back of the old comic books. Um, here, let me see if I can find the slide. Oh, there's my high tower. It's finally let's go back a minute. There it is. The walls. Observe. There we go. How many guys read comics growing up? Right? On the back of the comic books, they would have an opportunity to purchase some glasses, okay? The concentric circles painted on these lenses and they'd have little bitty holes in the middle that would help you look through or actually give you x-ray vision and see things guaranteed. You guys remember those? Okay. Well, the Lord wants us to have his x-ray vision, guys. He wants us to see as he sees. Okay? And if we are to look at other believers in their lives, let's take a look at verse 7. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, they're weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. So, verse 7, guys. Uh, just considering this. The person that judges by appearance always lives to give a good appearance. Okay, um, Paul lived to please God. He wasn't a man pleaser. So never tried to be... You know, an apostle that everyone was going to like. Okay, that was cool. He wanted to please God above all things. He was confident in what God had called him to do and what his credentials were from the Lord. So are you confident in your calling, in your credentials in the Lord? That would be the question for you and I. Do your best to be settled in this, guys, because that's really one of Satan's favorite tools, isn't it? Getting us to compare. And off of verse 8 here, these you know, these spiritual leaders, their authority, whether in the church or in a home, okay, is given for a purpose. It's a building up, it's not a tearing down, it's for edification, not destruction so a leader is not to you know control behavior but instead to influence a response that's what we're called to do is that easy to do no there's sometimes i wish we were a cult you'll need to submit and obey and just do this or you're in big trouble and we'll physically harm you you know you got to do it but that's not what god's asked us to do in the church is it that's not his type of leadership. So, a leader is not to be about controlling behavior, but to influence response. And, like giving in the last two chapters that we looked at, chapter 9 and 8, okay, not out of grudge, grudgingly or necessity, okay. We saw that in 9, verse 7. So, Paul here, if you look at verse 10, uh, they even rip on his physical appearance. Okay, things haven't changed a whole lot, right? We still do the same thing, okay? Uh, Paul doesn't have the physical stamina of Peter. One might say, another might say, hey, he's not a great orator like Apollos is. And on the days you just want to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to tent making, okay? Uh, <laughs> tents don't complain, they don't sin, they can't criticize. I'm going back, right? Uh, There was an Asian uh, presser in the 2nd century who said of Paul himself, he said, Paul was a man of small stature with a bald head. He had crooked legs, um, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked. Okay, So that's how Paul was described. Paul actually means small. Okay, so he was a small guy. I read another person who's you know was speaking on him said he had a high pitched voice, you know. So the guy just looking at him and hearing him wouldn't have been much in what we want to make much of. Okay, and that's carnal thinking, isn't it? It's carnal thinking, man. It doesn't matter what a person looks like if they're speaking the truth of God. I'll listen. That's what matters. So carnal Christians are preacher judges okay, and like to compare one servant with another. And that's what Satan wants us to do. One of the most hurtful hurtful things is having someone come up to me and say, hey, why can't you preach more like so-and-so? You guys, that's carnal thinking. You need to be you. God has uniquely made each and every one of you he doesn't need another so-and-so. He doesn't need you looking at their ministry. Maybe she gets to do that, and you want to do that. What matters is what God has called you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I want to encourage you guys to step into your calling. I mean, be all that God has called you to be. However big, however small that might be, that we are faithful in what he asks. And to do that the best we can. The world's really messed up when we consider. Because it's always, you know, climbing that career ladder, isn't it? Getting that promotion. And the bummer is people put in a lot of work, make a lot of sacrifices, put in the time, they do the work, And they get promotion after promotion after promotion to a point where they got promoted so high they're not even qualified to actually be doing what they're supposed to be doing in that position. They end up getting fired. It just sucks. God doesn't want us doing that. He doesn't want us thinking like that. He doesn't want us comparing. He wants you just to be you. Because we get in trouble when we try to be someone else. Any of you guys read lately about Ahab, King Northern Tribes? We had Jehoshaphat, two little kingdoms in the south. Hey, we're going to war, Jehoshaphat. Really, Ahab? You want me to come with you? You're asking me to come and fight with you? Me? And my? Yeah, I'll even let you wear my robe and put on my crown. Really? I get to wear your clothes, King Ahab. He was stoked. He was excited. I don't know what the dude's problem was, but he wanted to be like Ahab. I'll do it. I'll go. And it almost ended up in disaster. But God did step in. But that's what happens when we want to be somebody else. Be who God's created you to be. Figure that out. Be fully known. I don't think we know who we are because we don't really know God for who he really is. My heart's desire for each and every one of you guys is that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, that you really get to know him more, that you're going deeper. That is my prayer for all of us, that we're going deeper, that our relationship with him is getting more and more real, more and more intimate, because I really do believe the more we get to know him, the more we're going to be known. We're going to know who we really are and who we are in him that this comparison thing doesn't matter because we're not gonna care. Who cares what they think? They think I need to be doing this or that or more. Now I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Or maybe you are going and doing this and that and people are judging Why are you while you're doing this and that. You should be over here doing that. No, God's asked me to do this. He's asked me to love my neighbor. He's asked me to pour into my family, to love my wife, to go feed the poor. He's asked me to love this coworker that everybody hates. This is what he's asking me to do. He's asked me to spend time with him. He's asked me to give up my hobbies. Okay? He's asked me to give up this vacation. Because I'm so stressed out. I'm so undone. I need a fix. I need something. And God's saying what? No, I'm the answer. I'm what you need. You come to me. And brothers and sisters, when we tap into that vital, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, everything works out. Okay, we're not going to be pulled. We're not going to be comparing. We're going to be at peace with what God wants us to do. And that's exactly where Paul was at. And I love his example. So get out of the mentality, if I could only be like them. Don't allow Satan to feed those lies to you. Amen? All right, let's wrap this up this morning. As Paul says in verse 11, hey, I warn you, next time I come to visit, (laughs) I'm going to be powerful just as these letters that you guys are talking about. And then he says, seek one commendation. Verse 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere that God has appointed us. A sphere which especially, it includes you Corinthians. You guys are a part of what God's called me to. And he says in verse 14, We are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of the things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel in every region beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord." For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So, what's been the highest commendation that you received in life? I actually graduated high school, I got a diploma, a college one, too. I participated one time and got a trophy. I mean, the list can go on and on. I'm sure you guys have a lot more than I do. But no matter how long those accomplishments, right, the acclamations, the commendations, the different achievements, trophies and ribbons you get, guys, the only real commendation worth any salt is the Lord's commendation, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the only one that matters, guys. When it's all, but God, don't you care I did this? And I did that? I even went to church every week. No more, no less, guys. Just what God's asking you. That is it. And if you're doing that from a pure heart, well done, good and faithful servant. We we need to learn to live for his approval. We need to learn to live for his approval. And that is so hard. Because we've been taught, guys, that we need to be approved by everybody else. What they think. It doesn't really matter what they think. Am I going to glorify God? Am I going to honor God? Of course, you don't really know where success lies if you are worried about others. You may seem like a failure in your own eyes or the eyes of others, but what matters is, again, how does God see you? What does God have to say? What work has he asked you to do? Because that is great success for his glory if you're doing what he's asking you to do. And According to verse 12 here, every Christian soldier has a place to fill in the kingdom of God. Every single one. You've been given your own personal personality, okay, with the giftings and talents God has given you specifically for a reason, okay? So if you're thinking, I wish I had their gifts, knock it off, okay? They have their gifts for a reason. And just because they have those gifts doesn't mean everything's better in life either. You guys know that everything's hard in life, we all have our stuff. But God has given the gifts we have for a reason. And we need to use those gifts for his glory. So we can do, we get in that mindset, okay, of comparing ourselves with others. You know, we think sometimes I can do it better than that person. Or we fall short of what God really wants. It's like all this comparing stuff. Um, but these guys, according to Paul, they were card-carrying members of the mutual and, you know, admiration society. In other words, comparing themselves with themselves, not really wise, right? And then Paul says, I love it, verse 16, he wanted their assistance in taking the gospel beyond those regions all the way to Spain is what he's actually talking about. He had a heart to go and share the gospel with the world. Okay, He was on mission, called to the Gentile world. And then I love how he concludes chapter 10 here in verses 17 and 18. Paul's actually quoting uh, Jeremiah 29 or sorry, chapter 9, verse 24, where he reminds us where the glory belongs. He says here, But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Knows me in intimacy. Okay, Do you understand the Lord? Are you growing in him? And really know him. It's part of the reason why we're going to do this school of ministry. A big emphasis behind everything we're going to do is really getting to know him more, going deeper than we ever have before. And the first couple lessons that I've laid out are just around prayer and how to study and understand the scriptures. Why? Because those are two big elements to really going deep with the Lord and really getting to know him. So how can our prayer life Get better and grow and be more effective and powerful? How can we learn to inductively study the scriptures? That, hey, how does Pastor know all this stuff? Hey, guess what, guys? Pastor's not the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> I just was taught how to study the scriptures and I believe the word of God. And if we're given the tools, we can really dig deep and get to know Him more. And we want to grow. And that's really the heart of God. If we're getting glory, glory in understanding Him. Glory that you know him. And that's a big question. Do you know him personally? Just because you go to a Bible teaching church does not make you saved. If you think you're going to heaven because you're going to going to a good church, someone's deceived you and blinded you. And it's not God, it's Satan. Okay. You get to go to heaven because you know this is eternal life, John 17 3, that they know you the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That is eternal life, guys. Do you know him? And how do I know him? You enter into a relationship with him. That's the gospel. I love you. I died in your place so your sins could be forgiven, so you could be washed clean, be righteous as I am. All you need to do is say yes. Yes. Cause I want to have a relationship with you. A loving relationship with you. An intimate relationship with you. I want you to know me. And I want to know you. That's what God desires, guys. And if we're going to glory in anything, man, glory in, I know Jesus. I know the living God. He is so awesome. And then share him with people. And Jeremiah finishes up by saying that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Father, it is our desire to to be able to bring delight to you. You are so worthy. And we are a people who honor you here. We believe what you say. God, we are those desiring to be doers of your word. And I pray the insight that you've given us as we study your word, God, that you would keep us from the evil one, that you would protect our minds, our thinking, that it would be renewed according to your word, God, and what you have to say. God, we thank you that you speak truth, that it sets us free, that it sanctifies us. I thank you that in the midst of this war that we're in, that you've given us these really cool weapons. God, help us to stop relying upon ourselves and the flesh. God, the way the world does things. Father, but look to you, to earnestly pray and to ask of you, knowing that you are able and being able to see you step in and do great things, great things for your glory and honor. Thank you so much, Father, for this time this morning. We thank you again just for how good and right you are, that you are truly loving, very loving towards us, that you are kind and compassionate, that you have a desire to be known, to know us, to have relationship. And Heavenly Father, would you please, if there's any that are not saved, open their eyes. Help them to see their great need of you. God, let them be blind no longer. I'm asking your name, Jesus. Amen.